This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, G. I wonder what we can talk about today. We, of course, will preview tonight's big game in Indianapolis, Gonzaga versus Baylor. But before we do that, we got to go back and look at Saturday. Was that game UCLA-Gonzaga the best college basketball game ever? We'll discuss. We'll see how the Bucks, O's, and Nationals did in the opening weekend of Major League Baseball. Well, we know what the Nats did, uh, which was nothing. Speaking of Major League Baseball... Did the league make the right move by moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta? And I, I don't even want to talk about it, but I guess we have to. We'll talk about that and more coming up in the uh, next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet Another essential work week. Hope you had a wonderful uh, Easter holiday weekend. Several ways to get involved on the show. Check out our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. If you go to our show page at ESPN Morning Rush, uh, you can vote on our Twitter poll. And today's Twitter poll is, quite simply, was that game on Saturday the best college game you've ever seen? Yes or no? So head over and vote. And again, as always, every vote on this show counts. Also, our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. Go back and check out anything you missed, either from today's show or previous shows. It's all right there for you. So if you want to get involved today, you want to talk some hoops, talk some baseball, the Orioles off to a 3-0 start, right? How about that? Uh, Speaking of which, let's kick off today's show, as we kick off every show, with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we'll start with those Orioles who, as I just said, off to a 3-0 start after an 11-3 win over the Red Sox in Boston, leadoff man Cedric Mullins, 5-for-5, with three runs scored for Baltimore, which is a 3-0 for the first time since 2017. The Red Sox open up 0-3 at Fenway for just the second time in franchise history. Elsewhere, the Pirates lost to the Cubs 4-3 at Wrigley to drop 2-of-3 in that opening series. Uh, Colin Moran had a two-run homer for the Bucs, who opened a three-game series tonight in Cincinnati. And the Nationals, of course, they were off again as their weekend series with the Mets was wiped out 
because of a COVID outbreak involving 11 Washington players. Now, Major League Baseball did announce today's game against Atlanta is postponed, but the Nats will start their season tomorrow uh, when they host the Braves. On the ice yesterday, Alex Ovechkin had a goal and two assists and made even more history, which he seems to do on a daily basis. Capitals beat the Devils 5-4 in Jersey. Ovechkin scored the 265th power play goal of his career, moving him into a second-place tie with Brett Hall on the all-time power play goal list. He is just 10 shy of passing all-time leader Dave Andrichuk. Now, the Caps, with the win, completed an eight-game sweep of the Devils, the first eight-game sweep in team history against a single opponent. In college football news over the weekend, former West Virginia safety Tyke Smith, two weeks after entering the NCAA transfer portal, announced last night he has verbally committed to Georgia. Smith will have three seasons of eligibility left with the Bulldogs, but can declare for the or almost an NBA draft. That would be interesting. The NFL draft after just one season. He is the second Mountaineer defensive starter to enter the portal this offseason and land in the SEC. Uh, cornerback Dreshen Miller transferred to Auburn. And in college hoops, staying in Morgantown, Deuce McBride became the third Mountaineer to enter the NBA draft process joining Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman. Like the other two, McBride didn't hire an agent, so he can return to school if he chooses to do so. McBride led West Virginia in scoring this past season at 15.9 points a game. He also led the team in assists, steals, and three-point shooting percentage. He, out of those three, if any of them, would officially enter the NBA draft, he would be the one, I would think. I would think. ESPN has them listed as uh, their number 35 prospect out of their top 100, which would put him in the second round, low second round. So if you wanted to go that route, be a second-round draft pick, maybe get into the G League, or, or make the big club outright, who knows? But I have a feeling all three of those players will be back uh, in Morgantown next year. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. So real quickly on the Nats before we get into uh, some college hoops. As I mentioned, today's game postponed. Tomorrow, the Nationals will finally begin their season when they host the Braves. Second year in a row. The Nationals uh, were bitten by the COVID bug. Remember last year, a Juan Soto missed a bunch of time. He missed the opener, the opening week or weeks of the season because he got COVID. And now an outbreak last week, as I mentioned, involves 11 Washington players. Uh, Major League Baseball issued a statement last night saying the most recent round of test results of Nationals personnel included no new positives. So all of the Nationals' eligible personnel will be able to participate in baseball activities at Nationals Park today, and they can play tomorrow. 
With more on that, here's Nationals uh, GM Mike Rizzo. The four players who are positive continue to isolate and are doing well. Any symptoms that they may have had have been experiencing have subsided. They're feeling much, much better, and which is that's a good thing. We had had one additional player and one staff member added to our quarantine list. That was by the D.C. Department of Health, bringing our total number of players in quarantine to seven plus two staff members. They're doing well, and they continue to test negative. So there you go. Uh, things are looking up for the Nationals. Uh, not so much for the Braves, by the way, because they're 0-3. <laughs> you can say they didn't play this weekend either because they were swept by the Phillies. And they managed to score a total of three runs in that weekend. Can you believe that? Three runs in a three-game series against Philadelphia. So Atlanta 0-3 out of the gate. And I would venture to guess that they may have been a little bit distracted by Major League Baseball's announcement on Friday that they were yanking the All-Star game out of Atlanta for political uh, whatever, reasons. So I would have to think Atlanta, look, it's not an excuse. It's it's a reason. I mean, you still have to go out and play. But that, by the way, Major League Baseball, and we'll talk about this in the next hour, Major League Baseball is trying to be sneaky. We talk about... The Friday news dump, right? Companies, leagues, businesses, they tend to release news that could be big news or, I don't know, controversial news. They tend to dump it on Friday when people are trying to get out of work, trying to start their weekend, trying to just like get away from it all, right? So no coincidence that Major League Baseball releases this announcement that they were pulling the All-Star game and the draft out of Atlanta because of Georgia's new voting laws. They announce it on Good Friday. They <laughs> announce it during an Easter holiday weekend. On a, That is a major Friday news dump. Like it was actually going to slip under the radar. Anyway, I saw the Braves... Uh, they had like all-star game patches on their hats and jerseys because they were supposed to host it this year. Uh, second game against the Phillies, they had the patches gone. And it's like, look again, we'll talk about it. I want to get too deep into it because it is a touchy subject. But we'll talk about it more uh, in the next hour. What we're going to talk about now is what you would expect. And that is college hoops. And before we look at tonight's uh, championship game, which should be a great one between Baylor and Gonzaga, we have to look back at Saturday's Final Four because this is obviously the first show since then. And yes, in case you've forgotten, there were actually four teams that played Saturday. There was actually another game before the overtime classic between UCLA and Gonzaga. Baylor was just flat-out dominant against Houston in that first game of the day. And to me, it was a let well, to a lot of people, especially Houston fans, it was a letdown. 
because if you don't have a dog in the fight, if you don't have any personal rooting interest, you just want to see good games, right? You just want to see good, competitive games in the Final Four. Although, I, you know, I guess you could say the second game more than made up for what we saw in the first game. And the first game was over by halftime. It, that was, it was just done. It was one of those games where when the first half ended, you could walk away, find something else to do, turn on a baseball game or, or whatever, until it was time for the second game. Houston, which has or had <laughs> one of the better man-to-man defenses in the country, simply just they couldn't stop Baylor. I mean, it was 45 to 20 at the half. 45 to 20. Baylor, just every time you looked up, they were making a three pointer. They couldn't miss. They couldn't miss. And that 25 points, largest halftime lead at the Final Four in 18 years, and the fourth largest in Final Four history. And then they just cruised to uh, the 19 point win. After it was over at halftime. Baylor shot 46% from a three-point range in the game. They made 11 of 24, and they held Houston to just 38% shooting overall. And what you saw in that game is you saw the stark difference between a team from the Big 12 and a team from the American Athletic Conference. No disrespect to the AAC, no disrespect to Houston and what they accomplished this year. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But there is a difference between the Big 12 and the AAC. And you saw it on Saturday. You, you saw the difference between a, a team in Baylor that had to, first of all, go through the COVID pauses this year and try to bounce back from that. Go through a grueling Big 12 schedule. And then go through teams like Wisconsin, Villanova, and Arkansas to get to the Final Four. Then you had a team in Houston, again, played in the AAC, and faced all double-digit seeds in its run to the Final Four. Baylor was the first single-digit seed Houston played all tournament, and it showed. It showed. The game was an absolute, it was a laugher. Again, unless you were a Houston fan. And at that point, I thought, well, you know, this whole Final Four is going to be a dud. Because I thought we were going to see the same thing in the second game. I thought, well, Gonzaga is going to, you know, blow UCLA out. They're a a 14.5 point favorite. Let's get ready for Monday. I thought it was going to be an absolute dud of a Final Four. Instead, what we got was one of the greatest games in the history of college basketball. That is not hyperbole. That is not recency bias. Because, look, we have a really bad habit of saying the latest thing we saw is the greatest thing we saw. But that game was great. That game was fantastic. It's one of those games that's going to be talked about not just over this weekend, not just today, not just tomorrow, 
but for years. For de- just like we still talk about the 1992 Duke-Kentucky game, right? The Christian uh, Leitner shot. That is a game that up until Saturday topped the most people's list as like the great the greatest NCAA tournament game of all time. And it has stood the test of time. People still talk about it. I remember watching that game and watching that finish. And then Saturday comes around, and it's like, whoa. That's one of those games that you'll remember where you were, where you watched it, who you watched it with, who you talked to about it afterwards, how you felt when it ended, because trust me, there were a bunch of ways that you could have felt after that game. There were a bunch of ways, depending on who you're rooting for. Because it's one of those games where even if you entered the game with no rooting interest, by the time it was over, you were rooting for somebody. (laughs) You were pulling for somebody. That was a fantastic basketball game. Something that I never saw coming. I I thought Gonzaga was, I kind of had my thoughts in reverse. I thought Baylor and Houston would be a much better game and then Gonzaga was going to blow UCLA out. It was actually backwards. I had it backwards. I, by the way, <laughs> I said you remember where you were when you saw it. I was in my damn car, believe it or not. I was, I was on the road Saturday night. And I'll, I'll, I'll never live it down. I'll never live it down. One of the great... One of the, and I have to I have to fess up. I have to admit it. One of the greatest games ever played, and I missed the second half in overtime because I I was in I was in my car. Why? Well, I'll tell you uh, when we come back, and I'll also tell you how frustrating it was trying to find that game, driving through the mountains late Saturday night. Without satellite radio. That was good times. Stick around. More college hoops talk on the way. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We're talking UCLA Gonzaga. And that instant classic on Saturday. And I said, it's one of those games... That we'll be talking about for a long time. You'll remember exactly where you were. And I was in my car. (laughs) I was in my car. I was at my mother-in-law's for Easter dinner on Saturday. And I had to be in here yesterday to work for another station in our building. So I rolled out Saturday night to come back home. Because Look, I'm not one of those people who can get up early and leave to be somewhere else. Right? I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like, I don't like getting up early and then making a long trip just to come into work. I want to be home. Right? So when I get up, all I have to do is make the short trip into work, if, if that makes sense. So I knew I had to be in here yesterday at 10 a.m., didn't want to get up early yesterday to drive in to come to work. So I, I left Saturday night. 
So I watched the first half of the UCLA-Gonzaga game up in PA and then hit the road. In my defense, how was I supposed to know (laughs) that UCLA was going to hang in there the entire game and that it would go into overtime? I mean, really. Didn't you sense at some point, like Gonzaga was going to run away, run away with it? At some point, they were going to flex their muscle and, hey, we're undefeated Gonzaga. You're 11th seed UCLA. But it just never happened. And there was one point, Gonzaga was up by seven in the second half. You thought, all right, here we go. But it never materialized. And <laughs> here's the kicker. I have a new car, and I hadn't transferred my satellite radio from my old vehicle to my new vehicle. So here I am, late Saturday night, driving through the mountains and the countryside, scanning every AM and FM station I can, trying to pick up the game like this is like 1984. You know what I mean? It was so frustrating. I'd pick up the game on one station for a while, and then it would cut out. I'd lose it. Then I had to find another station and listen to the game for a while, and then another one, and then another one. And it's it's already driving me crazy that I'm not watching the game, that I have to listen to it in the car. And as the game went on, I'm, I'm getting more and more nervous because I, I was pulling for UCLA. Before the game started, I was indifferent. I thought Gonzaga was going to blow him out. But as it went on, I wanted to see the upset. I wanted to see the 11 seed ruin Gonzaga's unbeaten season and then try to complete the improbable, go from first four to national champion. That's what I wanted to see. And like I said, I didn't have a dog in the fight. I don't care about either team. Couldn't care less about UCLA or Gonzaga. I didn't have any, uh, shall we say, financial interest in the game. I'm the kind of person, I root for storylines. Okay? I root for the best storylines that we can get. Because, well, it helps me come in here and do this. The better the storylines, the easier it is to talk about it. And when I say that, do not get me wrong. Gonzaga, or Gonzaga, depending on what side of the fence you're on. You say Gonzaga, I say Gonzaga. Anyway, the Zags moving on with a chance to finish an unbeaten season. Undefeated national champs, that is a great storyline. They can make college basketball history tonight. Great story. Great storyline, for sure. They could be the first undefeated national champ since 1976. But to me, the better storyline, the greater storyline, would have been the number 11 seed, UCLA, the team that barely made it into the tournament the team that had to rally past Michigan State in the play-in game just to get into the field of 64, the 14-and-a-half-point underdog, the true Cinderella, 
them knocking off the number one team in the country and ruining their undefeated season, that would have been a better storyline for me. That's what I wanted to see. That's what I was pulling for. That's what I wanted, and I didn't get it. And it just made me angry. <laughs> it just made me mad. Because as, as that game, what, look, I, again, I was already angry. Right? Because I'm in the car trying to listen to it on the radio. Trying to pick up stations from, I think at one point, I was I was listening to the game on a station from Chicago. Uh, or maybe it was Cleveland. What's WTAM? Which one's that from? I can't remember. It wasn't from around here, let's put it that way. Desperately trying to find that game. And here's the kicker. Okay? I never heard the final shot. I never heard this. I can't wait to get the economics. Well, first of all, that's the wrong button. It's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. Boy, you know what? I, I set that up perfectly, and I blew it. I set it up to go right into that final call, and I kicked, I punted it across the room. You blew it! I don't even want to do it now. I don't even want to do it. I just want to go home. I want to end the show right now. I can't believe I hit the wrong button. This is what happens. This is what happens, okay, when you have to do this crap by yourself. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. This is what happens when you have to be producer, director, and host of the show all in one. That's what happens. That's what happens. When you sit in the studio for two hours a day by yourself with zero help from anybody in this building, that's what happens. Because usually there's a producer sitting here. And he's concentrating on all the audio clips and the sound clips because he put them in the system. And he can see as I'm talking, he's looking. And he's waiting for my cue, right? Give him the old finger point, like, boom, hit that clip. Hit audio clip one. Hit audio clip two. Okay? He's waiting, and he's you know he's got his finger on the trigger. But, okay? That's where it usually works on normal shows. But when I'm sitting here having to do all this stuff myself, that's what happens. That's what you get. All right, let's let's get back on track here, okay? Let's get back. Let's get centered. Let's get refocused. Point being, I'm in my car. I want UCLA to win. It's a great game. I'm listening to the game and the regulation overtime. And I never heard this right here. Suggs, long three for the win. I never heard the final shot because I was in between stations. Never heard it. Had no clue. I heard the end of regulation when UCLA had a chance to win it. And I did say to myself at that point, when uh, Johnny Juzang was called for the charge and the game went to overtime, I said, well, this game's over. UCLA is going to lose in overtime. I thought they needed to win the game in regulation on that last possession. And Gonzaga goes up by five, and I thought, eh, it, it's over. And then I lost I lost the station. I lost the game. 
And I didn't pick it back up until Sugg's shot had already went in. I had absolutely no idea what happened. Only that Gonzaga had won. And as I'm listening to the post game, and as I'm getting a million text messages, I'm starting to piece together what happened. And I couldn't believe it. A bank shot from nearly half court at the buzzer. That's that's how the game ended. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Are you serious? And believe it or not, that's the only thing I didn't like about the game. Well, aside, you know, from the outcome, and then I was in a car listening to it on the radio. A game that great that was contested so tightly, both teams executing at such a high level offensively. And it's decided by a bank shot. And look, I, I know a lot of people loved it. I did not. You know, if, if, if Jalen Suggs comes down and drains a 20-footer, hand in his face, nothing but net, I can live with that. I can live with that. But UCLA, to me, deserved a better fate than a lucky bank shot from half court. And that's what it was. That's what it was. It was just inside half court. Now, by no means did it diminish the greatness of the game like one certain TV personality who I won't mention. He would have you believe that the game wasn't great because of that last shot. I'm not going to go that far. Some people think that it added to the greatness of the game. I did not. I would have preferred a better ending than a lucky bank at the buzzer. But that's just me. That's just me. And it was still a great game. Again, one of the greatest we've ever seen, or in my case, listened to. And there are a lot of people saying, I mean, immediately, that it was the greatest game they've ever seen. Including one guy who's seen a lot of great games, CBS's Bill Raftery, who immediately put it at the top of his list. I've seen a lot of spectacular things happen, but... uh... Currently, that's got to be the top. You know, Chris Jenkins made the jumper. Uh, we had the six-overtime game with Syracuse, Connecticut. So uh, a lot of great memories over the years of guy. You know, Jordan's jumper in 82. I guess everything's relative to who you're rooting for. Now, Jay Billis, who got a late-night phone call from Bill Raftery, says it wasn't just one of the greatest basketball games, but one of the greatest games in any sport Period. It was the cherry on top of an unbelievable Sunday. That was one of the best games I've ever seen, not just in basketball, but in any sport. And to me, it rivaled the 1992 Duke-Kentucky game in the the regional final where Christian Leitner hit that shot. And I think you can tell from the reaction, like, I'm still coming down from it. It's almost like I have a hangover from the game. Uh, It was so well played. Like, both teams shot 58%. You had, like, four or five guys on each team that had MVP caliber performances in that game. 
And to say it was a game for the ages has become cliche. It's one that we're going to remember forever. That's how good the game was. And, you know, it's funny. Like, I think when you have a game like that and you don't have many of them in your lifetime, uh, you wind up wanting to talk to somebody about it. And I got text messages and calls last night from people in the NBA. You name it, from all walks. But the best call I got was from Bill Raftery. And it was uh, about 2 in the morning. And he had called, and, and usually when he calls at 2 in the morning, it's for a different reason. But w- when he called at 2 in the morning, we started talking about that game and the different plays in it and how great it was. And he said that Vern Lundquist had called him. And Vern Lundquist called the Duke-Kentucky game in 92 and said, tell, tell your partner Grant Hill he's got to move one step back because that's the best game ever. People know the real deal when they see it. And that was the real deal. Vern Lundquist has called more games than most people on the face of the planet ever. For him to say that, to move over Duke, Kentucky, 1992 region final, there's a new sheriff in town as far as the greatest, that's big time. Oh, look, not everybody's going to share that opinion, but that's just, just how great that game was. Now, was it the greatest of all time? That's the question. Vern Lundquist, Bill Raftery, says yes. What do you say? Give us a call. 301-759-2628. Head over to Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush. Cast your vote on our poll. And we'll talk about this more when we come back. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. The second half of the Final Four, the Houston-Baylor game was a dud. Baylor rolled. And after that second game, the conversation immediately started. Was that the greatest college basketball game ever? That's pretty. That's a pretty broad scope when you consider the number of college basketball games. Now, if you want to narrow it down, the greatest NCAA tournament game ever, that's, that's an easier conversation to have. And look, it was a great game. The teams combined to shoot 58.2%. That's the highest percentage since the Villanova-Georgetown title game in 1985. And that's the game when Villanova shot 78% from the floor. There were 19 lead changes. Biggest lead for either team was seven. Uh, UCLA had a six-point lead in the first half. Gonzaga led by seven in the second. You had nine players score in double figures. And you can just pull out so many great plays from that game. Jalen, of course, you know, the bank shot to win it in overtime. Johnny Juzang did the putback right before that, which that'll get lost forever. You know, he, he followed his own shot, put it back to tie the game back up with three seconds left. You know, Suggs blocking, I think it was, uh, who went up for the dunk? Was it Riley? Suggs, he, Suggs blocks it, gets it. And then that ridiculous bounce pass for the layup. Now, I will say this. Uh, after Suggs blocked that dunk, he did not reestablish himself in bounds. I'm sorry he did. From what I can see in the video, because after he blocked the shot, he went out of bounds. His momentum carried him out of bounds. And you have to reestablish yourself in bounds if you're the first person to touch the ball. You have, you know, you have, and he was. He was the first person to touch it after the block. I watched that video. It's close. It's very close. 
I don't think he re- that, sh- that play never should have happened. Because I don't think he ever reestablished himself in bounds to be the first person to touch it. I'm just saying. That's really the only, you know, nitpicky thing. The charge at the end of regulation, I thought that was a good call. That's the way they've been, they've been calling it all tournament long. Again, I didn't like the outcome of the game. And if you listen to the show enough, you know I'm an emotional guy with a little bit of, you know, some anger issues. I wanted UCLA, I wanted, you know, the Bruins to win. I was pulling for the upset, the underdog. And when the game was over, I immediately texted my son and I said, I hope Baylor wins tonight by 30. And I still do. It won't happen. You know, my brother texted me right after the game. And I told him, I hope Baylor just blows Gonzaga's doors off. That's just how I felt after the game. Like I said, emotions bubble to the surface. That's what happens. I wanted the upset. I wanted the better storyline. And <laughs> taking it personally, Gonzaga denied me that. Jalen Suggs' bank shot denied me that. So I hope they lose tonight. I don't hate him. I don't hate Gonzaga. I got nothing to, but I hope they lose. That's just how I operate. I can't help it. Like It's like back in 2015 when I wanted to see Kentucky finish the season undefeated. But Wisconsin beat him in the Final Four. It made me so mad that I didn't get my storyline. For one of the few times in my life, I rooted for Duke. I rooted for Duke to beat Wisconsin in the title game because Wisconsin beat Kentucky. And much to my happiness, which I thought I'd never say in my life, Duke won the game. But hey, you don't don't always get what you want in life. It happens. Now the question is, was that the greatest college basketball game you've ever seen? If you watched it, if you saw it, if I don't know how old you are, maybe you know your your sample size is limited. But for me, now look, again, understand I didn't even watch the second half. I was in the car listening to it on the radio. It wasn't. I've been around long enough to remember. NC State upsetting Houston in the NCAA title game, the championship game, on that last second putback uh, on the air ball. To me, that game, that game was greater. I remember Villanova. We just talked about Villanova knocking off defending champion Georgetown. Huge underdog. Nova shouldn't have had a chance to win that game. And they shot 78% from the field and they won that game. To me, that was a better game than Saturday. Maybe because of what was on the line. You know, I heard somebody say that this past Saturday's game was better than the Duke-Kentucky game from 92 because that Duke-Kentucky game was a region final. Saturday's game was a Final Four game. That was a game to get to the championship game. So, by those metrics... Saturday's game was greater than a Duke-Kentucky game because of what was on the line. If that's the case, then you got the two games I just mentioned. You have Nova beat North Carolina on the last second shot not too long ago for a national championship. So that game was better than Saturday's game. I'm not even sure that this game was better than a Duke-Kentucky game in 92. Both were incredible games. 
Both were tight games throughout. Both had incredible finishes. Incredible finishes. And I said earlier, the only thing I didn't like about Saturday's game was the bank shot. The, the, it's a lucky shot. For a game to be played, for those two teams to go toe-to-toe in regulation and overtime, to play it so well, and for it to be decided by a lucky shot, a bank shot from your that bothered me. But Duke, Kentucky, you had Grant Hill, the long pass down the floor, the Christian Leitner who caught it, made a basketball move, turnaround jumper, swish, game over. That to me was a greater finish. That to me was a greater shot than what we saw on Saturday. Because it was actual, like I said earlier, if if Suggs had gotten the ball and dribbled on the floor and pulled up from 20 feet, jump shot, swish, game over, that to me would have been a better finish than a lucky bang shot from nearly half court. Again, not trying to diminish the greatness of what we saw Saturday. It ranks up there definitely in top, I don't know, top 10 of all time. It's hard to say. It's only been two days. But I don't think it's the greatest game I've ever seen. Me personally. Maybe you. I don't know. If it was, let me know. 301-759-2628. Also posted our uh, Rush poll on Twitter, at ESPN Morning Rush, and on our Facebook page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. So cast your vote. Give us your answer. Was Saturday's game the greatest college basketball game you have ever seen? And all of that that we've just talked about leads us to tonight. The final game of the most improbable tournament of all time. Baylor-Gonzaga. One versus two to decide it all. And we will preview that game when we come back. So stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Tony C. in the big chair, live from the palatial ESPN studio high atop Industrial Boulevard on the south side of the Queen City, baby. A reminder, several ways to get involved on the show. Check out our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush. My Twitter page at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. If you go to our Facebook page or you go to our show page on Twitter, uh, we have our Rush poll up today. And it is, quite simply, was Saturday's UCLA Gonzaga game the best college basketball game you've ever seen? And if not, which one was? So cast your vote on Twitter. Leave an answer on Facebook, and we'll discuss. We'll also take your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show, every day, minus commercials. So you can go back and listen to uh, any part of today's show you missed or any other show you may have missed. 
If you missed the first hour, it was all college hoops. Ah, I shouldn't say all. No, no, no. I take that back. We talked baseball. We talked nationals for a bit. And then it was mostly about the Final Four Saturday and mostly about UCLA-Gonzaga. Again, was that the greatest game you've ever seen? If not, which game was? 301-759-2628. And if you also want to talk about tonight's game, feel free. Who you got tonight? Baylor-Gonzaga. And we'll preview that game here in just a bit. But first, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Orioles, yes, the Orioles, are off to a 3-0 start after an 11-3 win over the Red Sox in Boston. Leadoff man Cedric Mullins doing his job, 5-for-5, with three runs scored for Baltimore, which is 3-0 for the first time since 2017. The Red Sox open up at Fenway 0-3. For just the second time in franchise history. Elsewhere, the Pirates lost to the Cubs 4-3 at Wrigley to drop two of three in that opening series. Uh, Colin Moran had a two-run homer for the Bucs, who opened a three-game series tonight at the Reds. And the Nationals were off again as their weekend series against the Mets was wiped out because of a COVID outbreak involving 11 Washington players. Now, Major League Baseball announced yesterday today's game against Atlanta is postponed. However, the Nats will start their season finally tomorrow when they host the Braves. Latest round of testing. No new positive cases for the Nationals. They can uh, take part in activities today at Nationals Park and they open the season Tomorrow, with more, here's Nats GM Mike Rizzo. The four players who are positive continue to isolate and are doing well. Any symptoms that they may have had have been experiencing have subsided. They're feeling much, much better, and which is that's a good thing. We had had one additional player and one staff member added to our quarantine list. That was by the D.C. Department of Health, bringing our total number of players in quarantine to seven plus two staff members. They're doing well, and they continue to test negative. Now, look, every team cannot wait for this whole thing to be over. But maybe no team more than the Nationals. That's two years in a row they've had to start the season either shorthanded or late. Because remember last year, Juan Soto, that news came down, was it opening day or day before opening day? I can't remember if it was the day of that Soto was out with COVID. And now this year, the Nationals lose their, I mean, they'll be made up, don't get me wrong. But the start of their season delayed four games because of COVID. Uh, On the ice yesterday, Alex Ovechkin had a goal and two assists and made more history as the Capitals beat the Devils 5-4 in Jersey. Ovechkin scored the 265th power play goal of his career, moving him into a second-place tie with Brett Hull on the all-time power play goal list. He is now just 10 shy of passing all-time leader Dave Andrichuk with the win, the Caps completed an eight-game sweep of the Devils. The first eight-game sweep in team history against a single opponent. In college football, former West Virginia safety Tyke Smith, two weeks after entering the NCAA transfer portal, announced last night he has verbally committed to Georgia. 
Smith will have three seasons of eligibility left with the Bulldogs, but can declare for the NFL draft after just one season. He is the second Mountaineer defensive starter to enter the portal this offseason and land in the SEC, a cornerback Dreshen Miller transferred to Auburn. And in college hoops, staying in Morgantown, Deuce McBride became the third Mountaineer to enter the NBA draft process, joining Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman. Like the other two, McBride did not hire an agent, so he can return to school if he chooses to do so. McBride led West Virginia in scoring this past season at 15.9 points a game. He also led the team in steals, assists, and three-point shooting percentage. ESPN has Deuce ranked 35, or 35th, I should say, among its top 100 NBA prospects, which is, earlier I said late second round. That's not even right, because how many teams are in the NBA? 30? Something like that? So if he's ranked 35th, that's that's high second round. Maybe it's good enough. Maybe he goes. I don't know. Maybe he gets good evaluations. Maybe he you know likes what he hears. Worst comes to worst, maybe he starts out in the G League. I don't know. It's possible. He, I think, would be the more likely of those three to jump to the NBA. I think Sean McNeil will be back, and so will uh, Taz Sherman. I do think Deuce will be back as well. But if he decided to stay in the NBA draft, that wouldn't surprise me. And that is your Rock Around the Region, brought to you uh, by the Caporale Group. A couple programming notes since we're talking about West Virginia. Uh, Bob Huggins will be a guest on KJZ this morning at 9.30. So once I get out of here at 9, keep it locked right here. And then Huggy Bear will be on with KJZ at 9.30 this morning, uh, obviously to talk about the Final Four and tonight's game, uh, Baylor and Gonzaga. Also, programming note, I'm not here tomorrow. So there you go. You will have four hours of KJZ tomorrow. I took I burned a personal day. Took a day off. Because we have a game tonight. So there you go. We have a road game. Road games are tough on me because um, while well, they're on the road. And we don't get back until late. We play at Moorfield tonight. And one thing, I've done it a couple times this year already. And we get back late, and I have to get up early, and it it sucks, to be honest. So I was like, all right. I looked ahead at the schedule, saw we were on the road, took a personal day tomorrow. So I'm not completely miserable when I get here on two hours sleep. So no show tomorrow. I'll be back on Wednesday. I mean, I'm already miserable. <laughs> not because of this show. For whatever reason, I, look, I'm just falling apart. Let's, let's just be real about it. Somebody told me that when you turn 50, it hits you all at once. Like, you can feel good in your 40s. You can feel good at even 47, 48, 49. But when you hit 50, it all just hits you at one time. I've been 50 for less than a week, and I believe it. It's all of a sudden, like things change. I cannot, I know this has nothing to do with being 50. Like right now, I cannot hear out of my left ear. And I'm not going deaf. 
I got some kind of cloggage up there. I got I don't know if it's water in my ear or just like if I'm building a candle in there. I'm not quite sure. <clears throat> but I woke up today and I could not eat. I, I tried to flush it, irrigate it, whatever they call. It, I don't know. And it's right now. I just I have like zero hearing out of my left ear. So it's a little bit annoying, to say the least. Anyway. <laughs> Again, it has nothing to do with being 50. It just has me to do, I don't know, a little shower water in the ear. I don't know. It's probably a big ball of wax or something. I don't know. All right. So let's get back to college hoops. All right. <clears throat> National title game tonight. A game you can, again, hear right here on this very station uh, Westwood won coverage beginning at 7 o'clock. Baylor in the national title game for the first time since 1948. Gonzaga here for the second time in four years. This is just the fifth time in the AP poll era that the preseason numbers one and two teams meet in the championship game. And the first time since Duke and Arizona met in 2001. So it's been 20 years since the preseason one and two teams meet or met or whatever in the title game. And it's no secret, you've been following along, they have been the best two teams in the country all season, right? I mean, it's, it's they have been. They were one and two in the AP poll for like 99% of the year. I think Baylor fell out one week, didn't they? After their first loss, they dropped to number three for one week and they were back right back up in there. They're their top two seeds in the tournament. And they were supposed to play in the regular season, remember? But COVID stopped that. So I guess it's only fitting that they do finally get to play and they get to settle it all on the court tonight. First time since 2005. The top two overall seeds in the tournament will meet for the title. Gonzaga, as we know, unbeaten, undefeated, 31-0. and zero. Baylor, 27-2. Star power in this game off the charts. Off the charts. You got Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague for Baylor. You got Drew Timmy, Corey Kispert, Joel Aie. Did I pronounce that right? Close enough. And Jalen Suggs for Gonzaga. Suggs, of course, the hero of Saturday's game, says uh, he can't wait to tip things off tonight. I can't wait to get there. You know, I'm extremely excited. Again, this is something that you know we put you know, as an accomplishment that we want to get to at the beginning of the year. You know, and to be here, you know, it, it just shows all the hard work you know, and effort that we put in all season long. Um, and, man, Baylor's a great team. You know, they got great guard play. They play really hard. They have great defense, you know, bigs who give it their all you know, and play above the rim. So um, it's going to be a dogfight, man. I, there's no other way to put it. You know, we're going to go at them. It's going to be a game of runs. And, um, I mean, it's, it's going to be a battle. Yeah. Both head coaches, uh, Gonzaga's Mark Few and Baylor's Scott Drew, built those programs to where they are right now. I mean, Few's been there forever. And he's taking Gonzaga from, you know, uh, tournament Cinderella darling to basically a powerhouse. Has he not? And my man could have left Gonzaga a hundred times over. A hundred times. 
they went from this small mid-major, you know, oh, look at them making these, you know, cute little runs to the Sweet 16. and uh, Whoever, before Mark, seriously, serious question. Before Mark Few even got there, who ever even heard of Gonzaga, right? Did anybody know who Gonzaga was or where they were before Mark Few got there? And they had those early runs in the tournament. Like, oh, you know, this, this little team from Spokane, Washington, Pacific Northwest, just tucked away out there all by their lonesome, playing in the West Coast Conference, which really, to me, is the only knock against them. They play in a weak, com- weak conference. And he could have left several times after building up Gonzaga, but he stayed. He stayed, and here he has them on the brink of a national title. Scott Drew, Baylor was in the depths of hell. That program was an absolute shambles. And Drew comes along, and in a relatively short period of time, has them, again, on the brink. And they were, would have been one of the favorites last year if the tournament wasn't you know canceled. They're one of the favorites this year. He has done a remarkable job of turning around that program. So you have two, and again, he could probably go somewhere else, and maybe he will, who knows. But you have two coaches who have built solid programs, and now it's paying off. One of them uh, will be national champions tonight. Both were on game day with Reese Davis yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Well, it had to be because the games were played Saturday night. And we're going to hear from both uh, title game coaches right now. And we'll start with Mark Few, who leads off this little clip talking about you know one of his superstars, uh, Jalen Suggs. He's got the combination of just a crazy competitive, high-level competitive spirit, okay, with just a fearlessness to go for it. I mean, if anything sums up Jalen Suggs, it's to go block the 6'10", you know, senior, <laughs> roll into the rim for a dunk, grab the ball after running out of bounds, and then who the heck would try that pass at that time of a game? I mean, are you kidding me? And who can deliver it like that? I mean, and that is Jalen, you know? I mean, just he's a gunslinger, swashbuckler. I mean, he's just going to go for it. And, and this team, Reese, needs that because you know we have Corey Kispert who's calculated and 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 and, and can 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 just kill you with skill and Joel Ayayi is is kind of a poised silent assassin as is Andrew Nemhard and and Drew's outgoing and and you know can score in all these different ways but when, I mean Jalen's just going to go for it and lost and all that was how well he defended Johnny Juzang even though Juzang hit a lot of tough shots he did a great job defending him also. Hey, listen, I, I have been watching Baylor for the last two years now, and, and I don't know how many people know this, but we have a former player on their staff, and we have a dear, dear friend of ours who was a great assistant coach for us, and John Jacobs, who's been on staff down there now. So the, the, the staffs are combined. Scott and I became good friends uh, uh, through all this. Total respect for the level of play that they've had this entire year, actually even back to last year. They are unbelievable with uh, their player development and skill development that they've done. Those guards are unreal with just how they can cook you one-on-one or just kill you from the three line. And the way they shoot the ball from three is scary. 
and then their their defense is real. It's 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 Texas Tech. It's funnel you down the side, not let you get middle. They're turning everybody over in this tournament at a really really high level. It's it's something that you have to really uh, uh, prepare for. So they're they're terrific on both sides of the ball. And uh, I mean we will, we're going to have to play great. And I knew when if we ever were to play them, we'd have to play great to beat them. So there was a Gonzaga's uh, Mark Few yesterday again on with uh, Reese Davis now. Uh, we'll go over to Scott Drew, Baylor head coach, who knows what his team is facing tonight against the Bulldogs. They can score in so many different ways, and your defense, uh, uh, your your goal playing a team like uh, Gonzaga is just to make everything as tough as possible. They're too good. You're not going to shut them down. They have the number one offense in the country analytically. We have the number two offense uh, in, in the country, but both of us are much better defensively uh, than people realize, and uh, that's why at the end of the day, when you shoot three for 19 from three against uh, uh, Villanova, you're able to advance is because your defense and your rebounding. When, when you think about the anticipation of this game and them coming off, winning the game the way they did, what was that like for you watching the end of the UCLA-Gonzaga game, wondering who you're going to play? Well, the only thing I was hoping for was really double overtime, and then from there it would have been triple overtime. <laughs> so a uh, little upset that uh, Jalen had to make that shot so quick. Why not after two or three overtimes make that, you know? But uh, uh, great game, and that's what makes March Madness so special or moments like that. You know, Scott, I was thinking back, and it was 16 years ago to the day that the Baylor women were playing for the national championships at Indianapolis, and you and I had a conversation uh, you were early in your Baylor career. You had taken over a program that was embroiled in, in tragedy and scandal, none of your doing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how to get past that and what your vision was. What was the biggest challenge to maintaining that vision and going from where you were on the cusp of not being allowed to play non-conference games to about yeah. to go back to the same city where we had that conversation and play for the <laughs> national championship? <laughs> Well, first, you you gave me great advice, you know, because it it worked. (laughs) And second of all, you got great memory for remembering that. Um, But really, you look at it since 2008, only Kansas and and Baylor in the Power Five have won 18 or more games a year. So we've been really consistent. And the key to that is we've been blessed with players that have come in, that have really bought into the team, that have sacrificed for the good of the team, and uh, uh, have have helped establish the culture we have today. Assistant coaches that have worked extremely hard uh, to get us to where we're at. And then you have to have a great administration. Uh, Mac Rhodes and uh, his athletic department, President Livingstone, they've given us every resource uh, necessary to be successful and then the fans that have stood behind us during the lean years I mean when your first couple years you're playing half the team are walk-ons I mean it was a walk-on dream first of all you could not only be on the team but you could play I mean how how good is that Um, but uh, uh, so excited to see everybody uh, be able to celebrate in the success we've had Uh, I mean this is the third season out of the last five where we've been ranked number one a lot of consistency because a lot of people have sacrificed to get us here You're, you're relentlessly positive at what point do you think you will allow yourself to take perspective, step back and, and look at the path that you've gone from the start to where you are now and a perennial contender, as you mentioned? Well, well God has really blessed our program, but at the same time, once you start looking back, you stop moving forward. So in this, in this day and age, everything is straight ahead and on to the next thing. Um, and the older you get, uh, uh, thank goodness for coffee, because it helps keep you positive and energetic. So there is Scott Drew. Baylor head coach, and before that we heard uh, Mark Few, got a Few versus Drew matchup.
And both coaches get it. They know what's on the line. They know what they're up against. They're up against the, one of the top two teams in the country. It's that simple. I mean, what more? Again, I would have rather, I would have loved to have seen UCLA win Saturday and to see what they could do. Could they possibly pull off another great upset? Like, would that have been, that would have, that would have been one of the greatest runs? No, not one of. That would have been the greatest run of all time. If UCLA pulled that game out Saturday, and somehow beat Baylor, that would have been the greatest NCAA tournament we've ever seen. Which is why I, I was rooting for UCLA. That's why I was pulling for the Bruins. But the consolation prize, it's not too shabby. We get number one versus number two. You know, I, I think we'll take that. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll certainly sign up for that. Now the question is, since we've heard from both head coaches, we heard from Jalen Suggs, Who's going to win? That's the question of the day. At the end of it all, who cuts down the nets in Indianapolis and calls themselves national champs? I'll give you my pick next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Title game tonight, Baylor versus Gonzaga. We'll have the game right here on the station. Uh, Westwood One coverage begins at 7 o'clock. Another programming note, an hour from now, West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins will be on with KJZ to talk more college hoops. So you don't want to miss that. So after I'm done here at 9, stick around. Half hour after that, Huggy Bear. We'll be on with KJC. Another programming note, I'm not here tomorrow. No show tomorrow. I burned a PD, a personal day. So uh, it'll be four hours of KJZ, and I'll be back on uh, Wednesday. Don't forget, our Rush poll is up on Twitter, at ESPN Morning Rush. And the poll is, was Saturday's UCLA-Gonzaga game the greatest college basketball game you've ever seen. Cast your vote. And again, on this show, every vote counts. And on Facebook, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio, the uh, question is also up there as well. Did I just say also as well? Does that even, uh, anyway. Don checks in on Facebook and says, the 2009 Big East quarterfinal was the greatest game he's ever seen. Syracuse beat UConn 127-117 in six overtimes. That game lasted three hours and 46 minutes. And I remember it well because I tuned in late and still saw five overtimes. So while the UCLA-Zags game was great, Donnie Moe says that six-overtime thriller was better. Do you have a better game than Saturday's? Leave us a message on Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio or on Twitter uh, at ESPN Morning Rush. So we've broken it all down for you. We're giving you the records and how they got here and why they got here and all the names involved. And we heard from head coach Mark Few and uh, Scott Drew uh, last segment. So now the question becomes, who actually wins tonight's game? Who cuts down the nets 
and calls themselves uh, national champions. Before I get you uh, to my pick, let's hear what uh, Jay Billis has to say about it. Well, the playmakers on on both teams are going to decide it, obviously. And and these two teams have the most playmakers of any teams in the country, and that's why they're here. I mean, we've talked all year long, Nicole, about these these two teams being on a separate tier, that they had separated themselves from everyone else. We thought maybe Illinois and Michigan had joined at different times during the season. But the, this is what we wanted to see. And, and the perimeter playmakers... You, you can say, okay, are they going to cancel each other out? Who's going to win those matchups? All that. But the one thing that Baylor doesn't have is Drew Timmy. Uh, Gonzaga's Drew Timmy against Power 5 teams this year, and Gonzaga's not played a small sample size, is averaging over 27 points per game. His efficiency is ridiculous. If he goes up against better athletes, he, he beats them with his smarts, with his footwork, with his skill. Uh, he went up against Evan Mobley, who's going to be probably the second pick in the NBA draft, and he, he dominated. Uh, and Mobley is the better athlete, but, but he is not right now the better player. Uh, the better player in that game has been Drew Timmy. And Drew Timmy's been the better player in most every matchup he's had this year. In fact, I cannot think of a game in which he has been outplayed. Uh, and, and he had to go against Cody Riley at UCL. Cody, Cody Riley played great. I mean, he played great, but Drew Timmy was better. And he's been better in almost every game he's played this year. I can't think of one that, that he's been outplayed. All right, so Jay says, he didn't give a, a prediction there, but he said the difference could be Timmy, Drew Timmy. That that's the one guy that Gonzaga has that Baylor doesn't. Because look at the, the guard play in this game is going to be ridiculous. And you look at what happened on Saturday. Baylor blew out just an overmatched Houston team. Okay, when, when push came to shove, and I said this in the first hour, it showed Baylor, a Big 12 school, going through that Big 12 grind, having to go through Wisconsin and Villanova and Arkansas to get to the Final Four. Houston playing in the, the American Athletic, you know, mid-major conference, more or less. I guess they're considered, I don't know, they are low-power conference. I don't even know at this point. But they, you know, they played all double-digit seeds until the Final Four. Baylor just flexed its muscle and just showed how much better they were, why they're considered one of the top two teams in the country. Gonzaga, and there's really two ways to look at what happened on Saturday. Did UCLA expose Gonzaga? Did they show Baylor something that no other team was able to do this year? Did that show a weakness with Gonzaga? Or did that just show you how good Gonzaga is? Because UCLA scored 90 points and still lost. UCLA shot 58% from the floor and still lost. It kind of shows you how you can play your best game of the year, shoot almost 60%, and it's still not good enough to beat Gonzaga. So what does Baylor have to do? Now look, I'm not putting UCLA, UCLA and Baylor in the same category. I'm just not. 
as good as a run that UCLA had, they're still not as good as Baylor is. But did UCLA show something? Because in that game Saturday, uh, UCLA's four guards combined to score 79 of their 90 points. Right? Their four guards shot 56.4%. They, they hit 31 of 55 shots. Baylor is a guard-oriented team with Mitchell and Butler and Teague. So if UCLA's four guards can go off like that against Gonzaga, what's, again, Baylor, they almost shot 50% from three-point range against Houston. Just, I think it was 48%, 11 to 24. So maybe that is, is the crack in the armor for Gonzaga. That they, 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 you know, that UCLA exposed that if their guards should go off, maybe Baylor can do it as well. There's also, I don't want to call it a fatigue factor, but how hard is it going to be for Gonzaga to have that emotional, thrilling, exhilarating overtime win, last second shot, bank off, you know, bank shot the buzzer to go from that high. Then to go, there's nowhere to go but down from that yesterday on the day off. Can they get, can they ratchet it back up tonight? Can they get back up to that? that that's, that's an emotionally draining thing to win a game like they did on Saturday. Can they turn it back on whenever the ball is tipped tonight? That's a huge question. And I also look at it this way. When we talk, you know, we talked about Houston having a relatively, I don't want to call it easy, but if you look at the seeds, you know, they played double-digit seeds all the way through to the Final Four. Gonzaga, the highest seed they played in the tournament was a sixth seed. That was USC. And it goes back to, and when I say this, people think I'm hating on Gonzaga, and I'm not. I'm not. It goes back to them playing in the West Coast Conference. Yes, Gonzaga played West Virginia early in the season. Yes, they played Kansas. Yes, they played Iowa. They played Virginia. They beat them all. They beat them all. Beat them all. So you take nothing away. It is it is so difficult to win every game you play, regardless of what conference you play in, regardless of where you're at, whether it's a power five, power six, mid-major, it is very, very difficult to play and win every single game of a season. So again, I take nothing away from Gonzaga. They played those, and they were supposed to play Butler, remember. But that game was postponed. And Gonzaga has to schedule that way because they know the West Coast Conference stinks. They have to schedule some pretty good non-con competition early because once they get into West Coast Conference play, it's a cakewalk. It really is. It's a cakewalk. The West Coast Conference is terrible. It's awful. That's why they've dominated that conference for so long. So they get the big wins out of the way early, Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia. They sleepwalk through the West Coast Conference. 
and they don't play anybody higher than a six seed in the tournament. And and the one team that pushed them the most was an 11 seed on Saturday. That brings into question how they're going to handle Baylor. Give again the big wins early. But Baylor, I think, is the toughest team they're going to play all year. I don't even think that's, that's questionable. Even though they UCLA took them to overtime, UCLA is not as good as Baylor. They're just not. So if I had to make a pick, which I don't have to, but I, I will, I think Baylor wins tonight. I think their guard play and it's going to come down to three-point shooting. If if Butler and Mitchell and Teague, if they're on, if they're hitting threes at a similar rate to what they hit against Houston, it's going to be hard to beat them. It's going to be hard to beat. It really will. If they're off, they're done. It, and that's, that's going to be the key. If they're off from three-point range, again, Baylor was the top three-pointing shooting team in the entire country this year. If they're off, they're finished. You live by the three, you die by the three. And that's what's going to happen tonight. If Baylor is on, they win. If they're off, they're done. But I think Baylor finds a way. I think Baylor, and it's going to be played in the 80s. If you like defense, you're not going to find much uh, here tonight because both offenses are extremely powerful. Uh, Last time I checked, Gonzaga was favored by four and a half, which I honestly thought would be lower. So I think the four and a half is an easy play, to tell you the truth. But it won't be easy. It's going to be a close game. It'll be decided by maybe three, four points. I don't know if we'll see another classic like we saw on Saturday, but it's going to be another good one. It's going to be a great way to wrap up the tournament and the season. I like Baylor to, I guess, upset. Gonzaga, give them their first loss of the season. And Baylor cuts down the nets to win the national championship. What do you think? 301-759-2628. One last break. Back to wrap it up here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. How can I possibly look at this read where it clearly says baseball. I got basketball on the mind, that's why. I got a hoop Jones. We've been talking basketball for most of the morning. So let me try this over again. Baseball is back at Nats Park, finally, uh, tomorrow. And for those of you heading down to the ballpark, we know you might have some questions. What's allowed? What's not allowed? Uh, what's it going to entail? So for information on all things health, safety, and ticketing, visit nationals.com slash welcome home. And we'll have that game tomorrow, by the way, right here on this very station. Uh, 335, I do believe. Yes, 335. All right, before we get out of here, uh, let's take a look at the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? And the pitch. Swing and a ball hammered. Right field. Way back. On its way. Gone. Shohei Otani wasting no time. Absolutely tomahawking a fastball at the top edge of the zone. 
115.2 miles an hour and went 450 to right center. Angels won. White Sox nothing. Shohei goes yard. The call on ESPN Radio, the Angels' Shohei Otani, the two-way wonder, threw four and two-thirds innings of two-hit ball, did allow three runs, and mashed a 451-foot bomb in that first inning of the Angels' 7-4 win over the White Sox. He's just a third pitcher in 45 seasons to hit for himself in a game with the DH available and the first pitcher to bat second in a lineup since Jack Dunleavy did it for the Cardinals back in 19-03. So because of his pitching uh, prowess and his uh, ability to mash, Shohei Otani, our player who delivered yesterday, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. All right, before we skate, News came down Friday, okay? And it was the epitome of the Friday news dump where companies, businesses, whatever, they release news on a Friday when most people were worried about getting out of work, getting home. Sometimes it kind of slides under the old radar. This, of course, was a good Friday on Easter weekend. And as if I needed another reason to not care about the Major League Baseball All-Star game, news comes down Friday, the league was pulling the All-Star game and the draft out of Atlanta in opposition of Georgia's new voting laws. Now, look, I'm not getting into the politics of it all. I'm not getting into the whole voting law thing, whether they're right or wrong. I just, it's just, no, this ain't happening on this show. It's a a pointless discussion that will just get us absolutely nowhere. But what this move does once again is it brings up the discussion about how much sports should get involved in politics. And I think it's a Bush League move by Major League Baseball to move the game and the draft because it punishes the Braves, it punishes the city of Atlanta for something they had nothing to do with. Even with, although the All-Star game is in July, The pandemic will still be going on in some way, shape, or form. Even with the pandemic, the city of Atlanta stands to lose $65 bucks by having the All-Star game pulled. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of businesses, businesses that have already lost money, businesses that have already gone under or are close to going under, workers who have lost jobs and money. $65 is a lot to pull from a city because Major League Baseball wants to play politics. Whether you agree with it or not, doesn't matter. A Major League Baseball will tell you that they had discussions with teams, with players, current and former, with the Players Alliance, and the league will have you believe that they made this move because of those discussions. And that is a lie. Commissioner Rob Manfred who may already be the worst Major League Baseball commission we've ever seen, said, quote, we proudly use our platform to encourage baseball fans and communities throughout our country to perform their civic duty and actively participate in the voting process, end quote. Now, that all sounds pretty good, right? 
Again, it's a bunch of garbage. It's a lie. Major League Baseball made this move for one reason and one reason only. And that's money. Because that's what it always comes down to. When Major League Baseball sees a company like Coca-Cola rail against the new voting laws in Georgia, when they see a company like Delta rail against the new voting laws in Georgia, when they see other companies, advertisers, sponsors of Major League Baseball, rail against the new voting laws in Georgia, they had no choice but to leave Atlanta. Wasn't because of the voting laws. It wasn't because of how they feel about the voting laws. It's because of money. Because if Major League Baseball didn't pull the All-Star game from Atlanta, they would PO some big-time sponsors, which could cost them big-time money. That's why they did it. Nothing else. Anything they say, don't believe it. Anything they put out there, anything that Rob Manford says, it's a lie. It's about money. <laughs> it's a, That's it. That's it. Anything that big-time professional sports leagues do is about money. Anything. I've said it on this show countless times before. If you ever want to know why a league does something, follow the money trail and you'll get your answer. That's why they pulled the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Because somewhere down the road, there was going to be a threat of a boycott. And they wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. Could the voting laws be a reason? Eh, Okay, Uh, maybe. But it ain't the main reason. The main reason is Major League Baseball, as it's done forever, covering its own butt and looking at the bottom line and saving that before anything else. And anything else that they say is a flat-out lie. All right, we are done. Remember, no show tomorrow. Be back on Wednesday. Bob Huggins coming up on KJZ at 930. Stick around for that. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy tomorrow. I'll see you back here Wednesday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Ah, see ya!